I've had this conversation with several people uh, here lately, and uh, I told you earlier, I've been married, uh, this August will be 23 years, right? This August will be 23 years. I just checking. I don't want to make a mistake and then have you say later, you don't even know. 23 years. And um, what I realized about our marriage is there were seasons of our marriage where f- my familiarity with my wife was actually a detriment to me. Now, I'm not saying you should be unfamiliar with your wife. That could be just as dangerous. But familiarity in our lives can, can, can be really good. It, it's, it's really good not to have to call your friends by their last name. Right? It's really good not to have to be proper uh, when you talk to your wife. Like, I don't call my wife Elizabeth, but that's her name. I call her Beth or I, or I call her, I'm not going to tell you what else I call her. That's, you didn't know all that. So that's a really good aspect of familiarity. If, if we're familiar friends, we don't have to do a proper, a pro, we don't have to do a proper handshake and introduction every time. We can just fist bump and not say anything. Or we can just go like this. Like you walk in the room and just go, you know, what you, you know what you mean, right? Just shake your head. It's cool. Familiarity can also be dangerous though. I said this to our leadership team the other, the other night in the all-in meeting. I said, um, guys, you remember this? When, when you were dating your wife, she could, um, she could be indicted for an axe murder. And you would be like, she didn't do it. Ain't no way. I don't believe it. She, you could have walked in her ha- holding the bloody axe. And you'd be like, oh, baby, you're, you couldn't have done that. <laughs> Somebody framed you. Fifteen years into marriage, you're framing her for the bloody axe murder. You're like, oh, she did it. She did it. Well, what happened? You became so familiar that it wasn't valuable anymore. Come on, you're going to have to help me out a little bit this morning. You became so familiar with something valuable that it became less valuable. And so 15, 20 years into marriage, we talk to people different than we first started talking to them. Come on, somebody say amen. Unless you're the perfect husband, which I don't think you are. So we we have good things about familiarity and bad things. We're going to talk about death by familiarity. We're going to run all the way up to Easter because I don't want us to become too familiar with the cross. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 9. Say amen when you're ready. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know what, there's been so many times in my life where I didn't even know why I was there. I didn't have the right mindset. I couldn't see what God was doing and I ended up someplace. Anybody ever been there? God's asking Elijah this right now. What are you doing here, Elijah? Listen to his reply, verse 10. He replied, I I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're going to try to kill me too. Anybody ever felt like that you were the only one in your family? You're the only one trying. You're the only one left. You're the only guy. Man, if it wasn't for me, this family wouldn't be together. You're the, and you're praying, God, I'm the only one. Everybody else is gone. Maybe you're a young person in here and you're like, I'm the only one that doesn't party. 
everybody else is off the boat. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. You realize that God didn't coddle Elijah. He didn't say, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry you feel that way. He said, go stand at the mouth of the cave. I want to show you something. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a, came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God showed his power, and then he could whisper to him, and he asked him the same question as he did before. What are you doing here? And the crazy part is, after Elijah experiences all that, it gives him the same answer. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. And I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elishazan of Shaphat from Abel. I'm sure Elijah's is like, okay, wait a second. Let me get that last name here. What, how do you spell that? <laughs> to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will be put to death, will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. He was telling Elijah, I already got it worked out. That's what he was communicating to him. He, he was saying, listen, I just showed you my power. I just showed you how intimately I could talk to you, even in the chaos. And now I'm showing you I've got it all worked out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and do all these things. I've got it worked out. And then verse 18 is super important. He says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouth have not kissed him. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord. Help us be familiar with the right things. God, teach us today what's important. We thank you for this moment we have together. We thank you for our future, God. You have it worked out. We bless you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. For the most part, our perception of familiarity is a good thing. We become familiar like we talked about before with friends, and it breaks formality. It, when we're familiar with people, it speeds up the process, right? You can complete somebody, you know, somebody you love. My wife can complete my sentence. I can complete her sentence. It, it brings us to an intimacy that you can't have with formality. That's good. There's a sense of closeness and openness that allows a relationship to go beyond all the formalness and become intimate. But there can also be the side effects. We can, we can devalue the familiar. I tell people all the time, when's the last time leadership, when's the last time you went to a church other than ours? Because sometimes we devalue what God is doing here because we haven't seen anything else. Sometimes we devalue things because, because it's gotten too familiar. I've told people this, I said, when people first start coming to our church, they'll message me on Facebook. I, just, I had this happen like three weeks ago. 
They'll message me on Facebook, they'll friend me on Facebook, they'll send me a message, they'll say, Pastor Chris, that was an amazing sermon. Just, we found our home, this is awesome. And I'm just waiting on the clock. Because what happens when people become familiar, then they start saying, wow, he preached too long. Well, somebody say amen. Wow, why is he wearing those shoes today? Like I did it on purpose. See, when we become familiar, we move from the value to the critique. When we become familiar, because the same things that you valued in your spouse when you started dating, now you critique 20 years later. I loved it that you were whimsical. Now you won't stop being whimsical. I love that you were spontaneous. <laughs> and now you want normalcy. Why? Why did it become a negative? Because we got too familiar with it. And familiarness can breed a devaluation. We can become familiar with the wrong things that don't benefit us. We can become familiar with negative emotions. You know why people don't change? Because the, cha the pain of change is worse than the pain of staying the same. That's why. And so we get so familiar with our current pain. Hey, it's just what I know. I got back pain. It's just going to be like that. Well, did you go to a therapist? Nope. Did you go try to get anything? Nope. Well, why don't you do something about it? Because this is what I know. Why is your relationships all busted up? Because this is the way I know how to do things. You going to get any help? Nope. Why? Because it will be more painful. And I'm familiar with the current pain, and I can tolerate it. You know, you know a word I hate? Tolerance. I hate tolerance. Because it keeps you the same. If you just learn to tolerate everything in your life, you won't change anything. And my prayer sometimes, this might be my last sermon. My prayer sometimes is that pain would grow in your life and my life to the point that we won't tolerate it anymore. Because pain is the greatest motivator for change. But if you get too familiar with the current pain in your life, you'll become immune to it. It's like a prescription drug. You take it for a while and it works. And then the danger spot is you got to take more and more. Why is that? Because you become familiar with the wrong thing. It's masked what the real problem is. And we become familiar with the wrong emotions. We become familiar with greed. We say, well, I can't, I can't do that because I need this. And I can't do that because I need this. What, what are we saying? We become familiar with being greedy. All right, guys, I'm going to talk to you again. We become familiar with pride. God hates that in Scripture. He hates pride. But, but we wear it like a badge of honor. Why? Because it's what we know. We become familiar with it. So familiarity causes us to latch on to negative things. So watch this. Elijah was a prophet in a great time of difficulty. The king was the most evil king to that point. There would have been no other king as evil as him. And then we can talk about his wife. Anybody ever heard somebody call somebody a Jezebel? Yeah, they didn't make that up. They got that from the Bible. They got that from the Bible. He was a prophet at a great time of difficulty. Israel, the northern kingdom, had turned away from God under the leadership of Ahab. As I said, the Bible indicated that he did more evil than any king before him and was married to Jezebel, the daughter of a Phoenician king. 
which was not the way God set it up. But Ahab was going to do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And when he married Jezebel, he married exponentially worse than him. Some guys marry up, some guys don't. And Jezebel was a ruthless first lady. So we see that Elijah was called to do difficult things at a difficult time. My proposition to you is that some of you in the room have been called to do the same thing. You've been called to do difficult things at a difficult time. And if you cozy up to the wrong emotions, you won't get it done. If you become too familiar with negative emotions in your life, it'll never happen. And we can see Elijah's story doing that. He, God calls him to pronounce judgment on Ahab's rebellion. And Elijah goes to Ahab and says, there's going to be a great drought until I say it's not. Now, could you imagine? We don't picture what's running in through the prophet's head when he's telling the king what God wants him to tell him. But you can imagine what we know later how he thinks was probably starting out when he goes to Ahab the, this time. He goes to him and says, hey, listen, you're wicked. And God is, there's going to be a drought on the land until I say there's no drought. Now, I'm sure he didn't go with his chest stuck out. I'm running this thing. No, I'm sure he, there, was some, there was some nervousness. I'm sure there was some doubt. God, do you really want me to do this? You remember when God called Moses? The same thing happened. Lord, you're calling me to do a difficult thing at a difficult time. I know you did something fancy. You showed up in a burning bush and all that stuff. And I'm glad I got my sandals off and I'm glad it's all working out. But I don't even know what to call you. Why, how am I going to do this? I can't, 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 can't can't even talk right. And God goes through all of his arguments and he basically says, I'm calling you to do something difficult at a difficult time. Listen, we can deal, we can deal with the pain more if we expect it while we're ministering. Let me, let me say this. How many of you go to the gym and you're caught off guard every time that you're sore afterwards? <laughs> It's like, go to the gym, you wake up the next morning, you're like, wow, what happened? Uh, you haven't walked more than 30 feet in the last 10 years. Why are you shocked? So what happens is, our Christian walk, we become too familiar with, how do I want to say it in America? Sounds like comfort, right? And then God calls us, in a difficult time to do something difficult and we've been too familiar with comfort and it's like going to the gym for the first time and having the trainer just wear you out and you wake up the next morning and you don't know why you did it. And Elijah is in this place where he's like, I gotta, I gotta do all these things? So he goes and tells the king, no more rain till I say so. Then the next thing you read about is that God supernaturally provides for Elijah during the drought. It's way cool. And we preach sermons on it like, man, in, the, in your deepest, darkest, most needy time, God will provide a brook and he'll bring some dirty old birds to drop food for you. Isn't that awesome? By the way, I don't know how you spin that as good. Ravens, couldn't you have picked a little cleaner to bring 
The devil doesn't want you to hear it. <laughs> the raven was a dirty animal. They weren't allowed to eat a raven. But God took something that was despicable and provided for Elijah when everybody else was going through the drought. Aren't you excited that God can provide for you? But let's think about it. How many times in the middle of the drought have we been like, really, God, I can't believe it. You're keeping me alive? Really? Really, I'm supposed to sit here by this brook? This is not what I anticipated ministry to look like. This is not, when I gave my life to you, I thought it was going to get easier. When I did what you said, I thought it was going to get easier. I preach a whole sermon series uh, when I go to Africa about, about what happens uh, when I do what God wants me to do and it doesn't work out. If I go to the king and tell him everything you want me to tell him, and then I show up and the drought happens, you're going to feed me with ravens? I don't like that. And then if you keep reading, the brook dries up. Wait a second, now I know you're not for me. You brought some dirty bird bringing me food, making me drink out of a brook all by myself, and then you let the brook dry up. You know, sometimes, sometimes when there's judgment on the earth, we deal with the consequences of it. See, we like to think there's a hedge around us. We pray that way, right? Lord, put a hedge around me. I stopped praying, put a hedge around me, because thieves can get through hedges. I started praying, Lord, let me be okay with however you provide for me. Don't insulate me from it. Don't isolate me from it. Let me be keenly aware of how you're working your will out in my life in this moment. Because if I get too familiar with the negative emotion of the brook drying up, then I won't see how you led me to the widow next for her to provide for me. So the next thing that happens, the brook dries up, and now Elijah goes to the widow. God tells him, the brook dries up, go to the widow of Zarephath, she's going to provide for you. Can you imagine a grown man? I'll provide for myself. I don't need a widow to take care of me. No, 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 no. I want you to go to the widow. She'll, she'll take care of you. So he goes. All right, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Sees a woman when he walks into town. Hey, got anything for me to eat? <laughs> no. Now, how many of you would stop there? Lord, I did what you said to do. Now, you fed me by a dirty bird and let the creek dry up. You sent me to a widow. I'm already as humiliated as I can get. You sent me to a widow. The first time I asked her, she says she didn't have anything. What are you doing? What are you doing? I got enough, the widow says, I got enough stuff left over to make some food for me and my son. We're going to eat it and die. And Elijah says, hey, why don't you bring me that? The audacity. Now, I'm going to say something. I don't think Elijah was going, according to the word of the Lord, which I'm so confident in right now, 
I declare that you bring me that food and that God will provide for you indefinitely. I think he was beat up because of what we read later on. I think he was as beat up as you've been. And I think he just went, you think you could bring me that? I don't know what God's going to do here, but he promised me he'd take care of me. So she brings in the food and guess what? The Bible says that God provided for them until the drought was up. Not only for the woman and her kid as Elijah promised, but Elijah lived with them. So he provided for the woman and kid and Elijah. So you imagine how humbling that was for him? I mean, we're not talking about real self-esteem boosters here. Hey man, I mean, I got a little help from the widow, but then I built my own house. No, I'm living with her. And then to top off all of that, her kid dies while the prophet is living there. (laughs) You can't even make that up. Remember, God calls you to difficult places at difficult times. And if you familiarize yourself with the wrong emotions too much, you won't see how God is working through every single scenario. Because here is my take on this little situation with the woman's son dying. That kid was going to die whether Elijah was there or not. But God put Elijah there to make sure he didn't stay dead. But when we get too cuddly with the negative emotions, we spend so much time going, God, why did this happen? Why did this happen? When God's saying, if you'd shut up and lay hands on that kid, he'd be alive already. You don't have to clap for that to be good preaching. So what happens in your life and in my life is we familiarize ourselves. We get too familiar with the negative things that happen and we can't see how God has taken care of us all the way, every step, every step. Drought, brook, raven, dried up brook, widow, provision, dead son, healing. All I see there is God working his miracles out in Elijah's life. But Elijah familiarized himself with the wrong emotion. And he just kept going and kept going. Now you get to a place where Elijah challenges prophets of Baal. And some of you know the story. You can go to 1 Kings and read it. He says, he says listen, we're going to set up a little challenge here. You put your altar up, I'll put my altar up. You pray to Baal, you pray to your God, we'll see what happens. Matter of fact, if you read the story, he taunts them. They get to the place where they're whipping themselves and they're causing themselves bodily harm, trying to get their God to come down and strike fire, and it never happens. You know what Elijah does? Hey, bring me some water. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a show now. Bring me some water. And so they pour in a drought, they pour water all over the altar and all around it. They dig a ditch and they, and they just make it this impossible scenario. And then Elijah prays this great faith-filled prayer. <laughs> Could you imagine being there? I'm like, dude, that was cool. It says it licked up all the water. It just, it just consumed everything. And then they killed all the prophets. What a day that was. You guys coming back to church next week? It's going to get good. You would think that would be the case. But it wasn't. Do you know how many times God can do spectacular things in our lives? But because we've become too familiar with the negative, we miss them all. 
just miss them. I've told some of you this story before. I, I told our staff. The, so I've been preaching here a long time. And, and so, so what happens is people become familiar with some of the stories I tell. And I tell the same ones over and over. I'm not embarrassed to say it. Tell them, they're my story. That's all I got. So I tell the same ones over and over again. I told the staff, I said, you have to listen in a way that it doesn't look like you're bored because some people are hearing it for the first time. So I'm going to tell you the counselor story again. Some of you are like, here we go again. I heard it before. So me and my wife about four years ago now, most stressed we've ever had in our life, new business owners, whole nine yards, things aren't working out. End up in a, in a, in a Christian psychologist's office, a guy that I know our kids grew up together. And all this stuff about, all this stuff about going to a counselor that doesn't know you, I'm glad he knew me. Because it cut through a bunch of the junk. So I'm sitting down in front of him, and I'm just going through this. I'm, I'm Elijah. This isn't working. 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 By the way, I went to Africa this year, and my wife was, a, was, was, was upset while I was in Africa. This isn't working. My wife is sitting there, and we're doing the same thing. This isn't working. This isn't working. This. Anyway, what, what? You went to Africa? You guys don't have any money? And I went... Yeah, but it, I mean, it, that's not, somebody paid, my, paid for my plane ticket. Anyway, yeah, but you went to Africa? And I'm a pretty quick study. And I thought, I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you change my, my attitude right now. I want to have a pity party, and I'm paying you 160 bucks. So I'm going to get my pity party right now. I'm going to get my money's worth today. Um, but don't, don't you try to start that early. This is our first session. I get an hour to complain today. Don't, don't try to turn this on me that God is good all of a sudden. I've been a pastor. I know how this trick works. You're trying to turn it on me within the first 45 minutes, and I'm paying you to complain today. He looked up at us. He said, you ever missed a payroll? No. You ever miss a mortgage payment? No. You ever been late? <laughs> no. Payroll taxes? You ever been late? No. Has God been faithful? And I went, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, in the technical sense of the word. In the technical sense of the word, absolutely. No, no, no disagreements with that. But in my version, no. I'll just be honest with you. I don't, this is not cool. I don't like what's happening right now. He just kept driving home. Chris has got me faithful. And I realized I'd be, become so familiar over the last couple years with that negative emotion of God calling us to do difficult things in a difficult place. And I'd let it eat me up. And I, I was so focused on the type of bird delivering my food 
that I couldn't see that God was providing my food. I got so focused on the brook drying up that I, that I lost focus on the fact that he had already made provision somewhere else. I got so focused on how could you let that kid die while the prophet of God is staying here that I didn't realize he gave me enough faith to pray for him and wake him up again. I got so focused on the idea that, that why would you make me fight this fight only to feel rejected at the end of it? So here's what we read at the beginning. Elijah now has conquered the prophets of Baal, curls himself up, and he wants to die. God says, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. We pick it up where we read, and he said, what are you doing here? I'm just complaining right now, God. I'm just complaining. What are you doing here? I'm just complaining. Let me show you who I am. He couldn't even see it. I'm just complaining. I'm just complaining. And then God again shows him, you know what? I planned all that out. Now I'm planning all this out. I plan. I got it all planned out for you. See, you walk right to the end of it. I've ordered your steps. You walk right to the end of it, Elijah. I've ordered your steps. I've ordered your steps. I asked you to do something difficult. Yes. I asked you to do it at a difficult time. Yes. But I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. But you came so close to those type of feelings. You say you came so close to that emotion of rejection and, and depression and anxiety. You, you snuggled up to it to the point that you couldn't see anything I was doing anymore. But I want you to know I haven't left. I haven't forsaken you. I've still got it planned out. I'm still working it out in your life. I'm still directing every step. I'm still God and I'm still faithful. cool about that? You didn't have to spend 160 bucks to get that this morning. Man. That was worth it then. I got to use that over again. I'll use it next week too. Anybody ever heard the story? Stand to your feet. We're going to close with this. I want to speak this into your life right now. I'm not going to get too graphic, but the reason my kids look like my kids is because I look like me and my wife looks like her. We'll keep it PG. The reason my kids are blonde hair, blue eye is because we look like what we do. So when we're intimate, we produce, we reproduce who we are. So be careful with the emotions that you're intimate with. Be careful with the emotions in your life that you get too familiar with because it's going to reproduce those same things. It's going to reproduce. Whatever you're snuggling up with is what you're going to reproduce. Whatever you snuggle up with is what you reproduce. And and some of us get to the place in our life where all we're feeding in our lives is doubt and guilt and shame and anxiety and depression and we're just snuggling up with it wondering why that's what's coming out of our lives. And God tells Elijah, hey, listen, man, I've planned the whole thing out. I've took care of you every step of the way. I agree it was unconventional, but it was the way I chose to do it. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to pick a new bed partner. Not literally. You 
need to start embracing hope in your life. You need to start embracing faith in your life. You need to stop seeing the problem that's going on and start seeing the solution that God already provided. Lord, I know that you'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Lord, I'm going to lift my eyes to you from where my help comes from. Lord, I know that you will keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on you. Lord, I know you, that you worked out the solution before I ever got into the situation. Lord, I know if you've got to fly a dirty bird halfway around the world to drop, drop a dollar bill off in front of me, then you'll do it every time. And God, I'm okay with the way you choose to do it. And then guess what? We start reproducing. We start reproducing faith and we start being familiar with the good things that God has done. And we start seeing it day in and day out. And people start looking at you and go, how do you manage? How do you manage? Well, I'll be honest with you. All I see is God helping me. All I see is God working me through this thing. All I see is God providing. I don't know what you see. You may see difficulty, but I see an opportunity for God to do something amazing. Amen. So lift it up to him. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we come against familiarity with the wrong things today. Lord, I pray that you break the tolerance for the negative in our lives. And I pray that you give us eyes to see. You showed Elijah there were 7,000 people on his side, Lord, who'd never bowed. And I pray this morning that we would be keenly aware that the God of all creation is for us and with us and right now moving on our behalf. God, sink that deep into our hearts. And then, Lord, let us act on it. Let us reproduce those things over and over and over and over again. And, Lord, let it be for your glory and the benefit of all those that we come in contact with. Let your anointing fall on us today, God, and do something miraculous through us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, could you give him praise and honor this morning? He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, why don't you encourage somebody? You can be generous on your way out, and we'll see you for the last time in this building next week, April 7th. We'll see you then.